Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, we began our series called A Walk with Abraham. And for the next, we have this week and in two more weeks, we're going to be talking about the story and the life of Abraham. We're literally taking a journey with Abraham, taking a walk with him and talking about big parts of his story. Now, there's a lot to talk about with the story of Abraham. And so I'm just telling you right now, we will not be able to cover all of it in his story. But hopefully we'll have the opportunity to come back to it. So don't, why didn't we talk about this? It's coming. It will come. And so, but I do want to hit on some of the high points of the story of Abraham and the story of of this amazing man who not only is recognized within Christianity, but he's recognized in Judaism with the Jewish people. He's even recognized amongst the Muslims as a great patriarch, a great man that God showed up to and spoke to and chose to birth nations. And he's been a blessing to the world. So to recap a little bit of his story, last week in Genesis chapter 11, yeah, Genesis chapter 11, God spoke to Abram. At this time, his name is not Abraham, he's Abram. And God told him to leave the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. So he left his homeland And he wasn't sure where he was going, but he went on a 600-mile journey. Now, this is before Ford F-150s, right? I don't like driving 60 miles. This man took his family, his livestock, everything, his possessions, and they traveled 600 miles and still stopped and settled in a place and didn't go all the way in. Now, that says a couple things to me. Number one, you can be on the right path, as we talked about last week, and stop short of where you're supposed to go. And you can say, but I've done all of this work, and I've done this much change, and I've done all of these things, and still not get into the promised land. It's very possible this is not about our self-effort. our self effort. This is about our obedience. It's about our obedience. But then secondly, it also is encouraging to me that God was patient with Abraham. The same way that God is patient with us. Thank God. How many of you know God has been patient with you, long-suffering, enduring with you? So he takes this long journey, stops, and he settles and we don't know exactly why he settled. We don't know exactly what the reasoning was, but we, we talked a little bit about some of the things going on in his life last week as a reason as to why he might have. But what we do know is though he was off to a rocky start, he eventually obeyed and he went into the place that God called him to go. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. But let me just say this as we, as we talked a little bit about some of the reasoning behind why he didn't. There's very much a time for us to mourn. We talked about him losing his brother, Haran, and eventually he lost his father, Terah. There is a time to mourn. 
One of the most insensitive things that we can do as Christians when someone has lost someone who they love and is dear to them or is grieving some substantial part of their life is to say, well, get over it. You're not supposed to grieve. We don't grieve. We don't do that. Let me tell you what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, first or second. I haven't gone back to check. But it says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as those who have hope. In other words, we still grieve. We just grieve as those who have a hope that if they were in Christ and we're in Christ, we will see them again and have eternal life together. But there's still the process of letting go. There's still the process of grieving that person or that thing. But what's important to see in this story is though there is a time for mourning, there is also a time to wipe our face and to move on. Our grief and our pain does not stop us, does not stop God from requiring our obedience. So this is where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. The Lord had said, because the Lord had said this to him before he even left the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, as we, talk, Chaldeans, as we talked about last week. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. What an amazing promise or promises to make. And we, we can see that even in this story that we're going to unpack today, we can start to see a little bit of this. God said, if you curse them, if you curse him, you have me to deal with. But if you bless them, you have my blessings. And I'll be honest, I believe the reason that God has blessed the United States of America has been because we have, we've honored him We've honored the name of Jesus, not perfectly, but we've honored more than any other nation sending missionaries to the world and glorifying the name of Jesus. And we have stood with his people, Israel. I believe that. God just said it. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Remember, Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old. When he left Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land, the land of Canaan. Where, when they arrived in Canaan, let me pause there for a moment. When they arrived in Canaan, meaning they arrived in Canaan, they finally did it. He finally got there. He obeyed the Lord. Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moray. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Uh-oh. That's a problem. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Nagath. Now I'm going to stop there because I just went through a whole lot. 
And I want to talk about, I want to explain what we just went through. Before we get into this incredible promise, I want to take a moment to point something out. God gives them a great promise, but there is a problem with this promise. There's actually two problems with this promise. God says, I am going to give this land to you and to your descendants. What's the problem? His wife couldn't have children. So God, how am I going to have descendants in a land that I don't have any descendants for? But then also God says, I'm going to give you this land. And when he gets into the land, the land is filled with people that very much believe it's their land. That's a problem. And isn't that how God does with us? God makes a promise to us and we want, this is the way we view it. God, you promised it, I'm going to sit back, watch Netflix and eat Doritos until you deliver. That's what we want. God, if you could just, if you can just door dash that promise to my house, that'd be fantastic. But instead, God says, I'm going to give this to you. And Abram's going, how in the world is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? Have you, something else that I want you to see. Have you ever realized that God will sometimes call us things that we don't see within ourselves? God will say things about us that as we look at it, it makes no sense to us. Things like you are cold. God's hand is on you. Wait a minute. I, I don't feel cold. If you notice, he didn't say I want you to feel cold. He said you're, you are called. Or you're called to help change your community and you're thinking, God, I'm just trying to beat this addiction in my life. Or you're called to speak on my behalf. God, I'm just trying not to be a liar. And God will deal with us along the journey to make us into what he's already said you are. God says you are the head and not the tail, above only, not beneath. God says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. These are the things he says about us. And when we don't walk according to those things, we are inconsistent. We are living in an inconsistent manner with what he has already said about us. And therein is the process of sanctification. Therein is the process of God getting us to a real, renew our mind and actually see, no, this is who I really am. I'm not what I feel. I'm not what I thought. I'm not the temptations that come my way. I'm what he said. I'm what he said. And he walks us through this process. Now, I also want you to see this. There is a promise within the promise. Now you're just playing with us, Pastor Gabe. No, no, no. There's a promise within the promise. And this is what I mean by that. God says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, but he has no descendants. So if God's promise is true, that means that God is going to have to provide descendants for him. Now, up until this, we are, again, we know the end of the story, most of us. And we know the song, Father Abraham had what? And many sons, what? Okay, it's just fun when I do that. I just, I don't know why I enjoy it so much. 
But we know the end of the story. But up until this point, that was not on the radar for Abraham because his wife could not have kids. So that wasn't in the plan. We gave up on that a long time ago. And God is saying, I'm going to give your, this land to your descendants. And so Abram has to, one, believe that God's going to give him the land. And God, he has to believe that somehow, some way, I don't know how, but he just told me my descendants are going to take this land. That's, I don't know how that's going to work out, God, but I'm going to have to trust you. And we have to do the same thing. We have to trust him even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when we don't see how this is going to flesh itself out, God is God and he already has a plan. Here's the problem, though. He doesn't always explain the plan to us. As a matter of fact, he very rarely, if ever, explains the plan to us. But can I help you with something? He doesn't have to. He knows his will for us. And his will for you as a child of God is good. But that's where we have to trust. But again, we want things easy. We want to know what's happening. We want to know the plan. And God says, I don't have to explain the plan. Just trust me. Now, if you notice, here's the challenge. There's Canaanites in the land. He has no children and God didn't, as soon as Abram was aware of these problems, God didn't instantly fix them. What God did is God showed up. God said, I'm not going to fix what you see right now, but I'm going to show up so that you can put your eyes on me rather than the problem. He showed up and gave Abram something to trust in. And that's where some of us are. You don't see how it's going to work itself out yet, but you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how it's going to change. But he showed up. He died for me. He said he loves me. I'm going to trust him. Going to trust him. Again, there's a promise within the promise. He tells him that I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And what land are we talking about? The very land that's at war right now in Israel. The irony, and it's really not ironic at all, it's the sovereign plan of God, that as we're launching this series, there's a war launching in this very country. God essentially tells him, I'm, I'm going to keep my promise to you, even though it doesn't look easy. And in some cases, it doesn't even look possible, but I'm going to keep my promise. Now, in response to this, in response to God showing up, this is what Abram does. The Bible says this in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. His response was, I'm going to build an altar to you, God. And I believe two things were happening when he did that. Number one, he was showing gratitude. Cody just sang that song. He was expressing gratitude. God, I don't understand it, but thank you. I don't know how it's going to happen, but thank you. Can I just tell you, for some of us, that's what we need to do even in the middle of the storms, is just say, thank you. God, I worship you. I don't understand it, 
but I know your, your will is good for me. And worship in the middle of your problem. Worship in the middle of your struggle. And Abram not only built one altar, but he built two. In verse 8 it says, After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. He built this altar. Another thing that he was doing was by faith he was claiming this land. When he set up these altars, he was showing faith and trust in God. And he was saying, okay, this is, God, I trust you. This is going to be mine. Again, another problem. There were other people there who thought it was theirs. And he's saying, by faith, God, I believe, I don't know how you're going to work it out. But by faith, I believe you're going to give me this land. And he trusted God. He did what Jesus did. And let me explain that. When Jesus showed up, Jesus said, hey, guess what, world that was given over to the devil when Adam and Eve sinned against me, world that was given into darkness, the hands of darkness, Jesus shows up and he says, well, this is mine now. And I'm taking it all back, and my kingdom is going to establish. This is what this is paramount to, I mean, connected to. This is tantamount, excuse me. This is like me walking into your house and going, what, me and my wife have been looking for a house, and we think this one's good. <laughs> we've, been, we've been praying about it, and you have 29 days to exit the premise. <laughs> That's essentially what Abram is doing. Well, that sounds weird. Not if it's God, who ultimately owns everything anyway. It's his to give to whom he chooses. And he chose to give it to Abram. And there's a whole backstory that we can get into from after the flood and the, and the rebellion, Cain and, and the sons, and they're exposing Noah and God saying, I'm going to curse this family. All the, all, we can go through all of that. But at the end of the day, God said, I'm choosing to give this to my people. And that's what happened. So things are going well. Abram, he's making progress. He's cooking with gas. He's starting to, okay, I'm in the land. And God's like showing up and like giving me stuff. And I'm like building altars. This is going great. Major progress. But then the tests come, as they often do. The tests start coming. Verse 10, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, a famine hit the land. So now, not only does he have this promise made by God of fruitfulness and abundance, both in his personal life and in the land, but now not only is his wife not fruitful, the land's not fruitful. This does not seem like it's going in the right direction. As oftentimes things do when God makes promises to us. They don't often look like what we thought they were going to look like. How many of you have ever had a promise from God that looked almost nothing, the process at least, almost nothing like you thought it was going to look? I'll just give you an example. As a young man, hearing the call of God on my life, you're going to be in ministry. God's going to use you to preach. I see you leading people. And as a young man, I'm like, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. 
God's calling me. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be on like floats and waving to people. And <laughs> I'm going to get up and everybody's going to love me and all of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what God didn't tell me was the process of getting the pride beat out of my heart. What God didn't tell me are the hurts along the way that God would use. What God didn't tell me were the betrayals that would come. What God didn't tell me is that I would go through things with people I knew and loved all to teach me how to be long-suffering and enduring with people. He didn't tell me that part. God, that wasn't in the picture with the float. <laughs> God didn't tell me is that I would pray with and cry with people who would still lose the family member and I would have to weep with them at the funeral as he was teaching me love for people. He didn't tell me that part. The process rarely ever looks like what we think, but the promise is secure. Promise is secure. And this is where this trouble all of a sudden breaks out. And I, honestly, I had a, a, a time I wrestled with this one a little bit because I, I thought, man, was it really fear that drove Abram or was it just necessity? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And as I take a, a step back and look at the picture of Abram's life, it very much was fear and insecurity that led him away from the very promise that God gave him. He entered into the land and because of fear and insecurity, left the land. God never told him to leave when this famine hit. God didn't tell him to leave. He told himself that I need to leave. Is it possible, church, that the God who moved heaven and earth, who created heaven and earth, who parted the Red Sea with Moses, who rose his son Jesus from the dead, who has that power? Was it possible for him, the same God who fed Elijah by the brook Cherith with selfish ravens and created streams for him, is it possible that that God could have sustained, sustained Abram and his family in the land that God told him to go to? You better believe he could. But for Abram, he trusted in himself and he was led by his own fear and left. He left the promise that God was giving him. It already took him long enough to get in there, but now that he's in there, he's leaving because there's some trouble. That's a message in and of itself. Abram's fear got him off course. And fear, as we well know, will make us do irrational things. Right? I mean, I'm going to get to this scripture in a minute, but 2 Timothy 1.7, when it talks about the spirit of fear, right? And the opposite, the spirit that God has given us is power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind, the opposite of a sound mind is irrational thinking. And fear will drive us to irrational thinking. They're doing this. They're thinking this. This is going to happen. The world's going to implode. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what God said. That's not what God said. But not only will fear cause you to do irrational things, fear will cause you to do quote-unquote rational things. And there are quote-unquote rational things that to everyone else make sense, but to us we know that's not what God said. And you can reason your way into disobedience. 
You can logically process yourself into walking away from what God wants for your life because it quote unquote doesn't make sense. Many of the blessings in my life that God has given me at the time did not make sense. But God said, stay, and I stayed. Or God said, go, and I went. Or God said, try, and I tried. Or God said, quit, and I quit. And it didn't make sense, but it was his plan and his will. And for Abram, he did the quote-unquote rational thing. Let's talk about that for a minute. Are y'all tracking with me? Abram... He came from Ur of the Chaldeans, of Chaldeans rather. And Egypt was like Ur of the Chaldeans, a major city. So Abram's in this place that is not really a major city, but this famine hits and he goes to Egypt. And Egypt is like that. There's pagan worship, there's all of those things, but there's also something that makes it very much like Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans had rivers that went through them. Egypt had a major river that went through it, the Nile. When you're living in this day and time in this land, if you're near a river, there's vegetation, things are flourishing, there's blessings in the land, right? Because of the river, the stream that's steadily going. Israel, if you look at it, even on a map to this day, is a little area of green and then desert all around it. And the only reason that it has those, those things, it, you, it requires rain. And guess what? You can't make it rain. I know some of you think you can. <laughs> but you can't make it rain. You have to wait on rain. You have to trust for rain. And we know that in South Louisiana over the last two months, don't we? Some of your lawns are still, yeah. Right, we can't make it rain, so you have to depend on God to provide the rain. So what Abram did in this moment when he left Canaan was he went to a place that he thought was already provided. They have a river, so in my own mental logic, that's where my provision will come from instead of my provision coming from the Lord. In Canaan, you have to trust. In Canaan, you have to have faith. In Egypt, you just go with the process. This logically makes sense, so this is what I'm going to do. Now, here's the problem with making decisions based on fear. They offer direction, but they don't offer protection. Decisions based on fear, it creates movement, but it does not create improvement. It doesn't. Fear-based decisions rarely, if ever, work out well. And again, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind. A sound mind. The opposite of that is what? Powerlessness, selfishness, and this inability, this irrational thinking that comes our way. How many of you remember back in 1999 
when JFK Jr. died. Anybody remember that? Do you remember the story? He crashed his airplane into the water. Do you remember why? And I, by the way, I bragged on Pastor Paul Neal in the first service. He was in the first service. That you know, he's too cool for me. He's also a pilot. I'm like, you can't be that cool. You've got to stop. He can sing. He can pre. I'm like, just, okay, whatever. But JFK Jr.'s plane went into the water. And it, it was because he he had developed what's called spatial disorientation, meaning as he was flying his plane, he got disoriented and he got nervous. And he thought he was flying the plane in the right direction, but instead he flew it into the water, he flew it into the ocean. Well, what happened? The instrument panel, all of those things, the gauges, they were telling him what to do. But because of his nervousness and probably his anxiety, he went, I, I, I'm going to do this. And doing that, taking matters into your own hands instead of trusting what God has set up caused his demise. Here's my question. How many things in your life have you tried to take control of that are actually causing your demise? Rather than trusting what he said, you're taking matters into your own hands and ruining the destiny, the calling, the relationships. All because I got to take care of this. No, you don't. You have to trust him and do what he asked. You have to trust him. Again, when we live by fear, we make irrational decisions. And this will prove for the rest of the story of Abram will prove to be a bit of a challenge because other tests will come his way until he finally submits to God and trusts God with the most important thing in his life at the time. But faith in the promises of God ends the striving and it begins clear thinking. When you trust he's God, he's in control, he's bigger than me, he can do for my kids what I can't do. He can do in my marriage what I can't do. He can do in my job and with the people at my job what I can't do. He can do in my physical health and my body what I can't do. Why not obey him and trust him if I genuinely believe his will for me is good? God said it. I believe it. It doesn't make sense, but I trust him. What decisions today are you tempted to make? out of fear. I mean, you just think about that for a moment. What decisions are you tempted to make today out of fear? I got to control this. I got to, nobody, I, I got to make sure this happens. They think I, I'm going to control them. I, I remember this and I share this often in freedom. I'm getting pretty personal with you for a moment. I remember when I was having some struggles with one of my daughters really nervous about some things, really fearful about some things, and I would overly try to control her and control the situation. And one night, I'm praying for her, and I pray for her just about every night. Very few exceptions. It's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said something that I won't forget. He said, Gabe, you can have a relationship or you can have control, but you cannot have both. You cannot have both. 
I took a step back and realized, okay, God, I want the relationship. I want the relationship. What we try to control, we have to continue to control. And this is what we see in Abram's story. Let's keep going. Verse 11. He goes into a place called Egypt. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians saw, see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they may spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Let me, let me translate that. Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, pulls Sarai aside and says, all right, girl, look, you're fine. Okay. Normally, that's a very good thing for me. But right now, it's presenting a little bit of a problem. So this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle this. We're going to tell this whole country, because I see the way they're looking at you already, that you're my sister. Now, here's the problem. That's a half truth. Because in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, the Bible tells us in a very similar setting, a very similar situation, we find out that Sarai is actually Terah, Abram's father's daughter as well. They just had different mothers. So she is his half-sister. And here's the problem with this. Well, some of you are like, well, what's the problem? Well, there's a lot of problems <laughs> for one. <Okay. laughs> there's a lot of issues with this. Okay. But remember, this is not all that far removed from the flood, okay? And so this at the time was probably more common than it is now. Hopefully, it's more common than it is now. But here's the other problem with a half-truth. A half-truth is also a half-lie. A half-truth is also a half-lie. And we see the father of faith lying to cover himself because he's scared to protect himself. Notice he wasn't really thinking about what was best for her. He was thinking about what was best for him. Now, history tells us that the Egyptians favored Semitic women, and Semitic, Semitic women meaning what we would later call the Israelites, right? That's why we call it anti-Semitism, or Semitics. So, they favored the Semitic women because they said, quote, unquote, their women faded early. That's what the Egyptians said. Sarai at this time was 65 years old. Girl had it going on. <laughs> if she's 65 and he's like, we got to lie. <laughs> we got to cover you up. We got to lie. At 65 years old, it, it's been said in ancient history that the beauty of Sarah, Sarah was, was unmatched and that the beauty of their women all stems back from her. So she was a beautiful, amazing woman, almost like Lauren Smith, but, <laughs> who is not 65. Okay. But instead of trusting God... Meanwhile, back in the spirit, okay. <laughs> Instead of trusting God, Abram used his wife and he, for deception, to protect himself. 
Now, fear can drive us to do a lot of things. One of the things fear often drives us to do is to hurt other people. Because when we're operating in a spirit of fear, we're not thinking about them. Why? Because fear makes us selfish. It's about me. I got to protect me. I need me taking care. What's going to happen to me if I don't? It makes us fearful. And we're just hurting people left and right because we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to survive. Verse 14, and sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. Her beauty made it all the way up to the king. The king of this country is hearing about how fine this woman is. And Sarai was taken into his palace, Pharaoh's palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, as her brother, which he really was, some have said that he probably was the one who made the arrangements of this connection between Pharaoh and Sarai. He arranged this marriage with his wife and this man. Can y'all hear this in the background as well? Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. (laughs) This is in the Bible. This is some dysfunctional stuff. But he got a blessing out of it. He arranged this deal and got a blessing out of this. Sheep, camels, servants, all of those things. But at what cost? At what cost? What kind of shame did he live in when he laid his head on his pillow or rock or whatever they slept on at that time? What kind of shame did he have knowing because of my fear, I sold my wife to another man? kind of guilt and shame that he have to wrestle with because of that fear? Whatever it was, it wasn't worth it. I heard this story the other day of a, a couple walking through um, the mall together. This older couple and the wife's shopping and doing her thing and the husband's just looking around and he sees this beautiful young girl and he just is he, he's keeping his gaze fixed on her the whole time. And he realizes his wife's right there, so he just kind of, she never changes her expression. And as she's looking, she looks up at him and she says, was that worth the trouble you're in now? <laughs> was it worth it? <laughs> For Abram, was it worth it? The guilt and the shame that you felt because of that for some sheep and you got to, you wouldn't even be in this problem if you would have trusted God in Canaan. You wouldn't have had to deal with this had you had trusted God in Canaan. And there are many people who believe financial prosperity is always a sign of God's favor. I submit to you, it is not always a sign of God's favor. When you're blessed, I want to know who and what you had to sell out to get that. 
Whose trust did you break? What, did, what convictions did you compromise? And that, that, listen, God can bless without compromise. I'm not saying that. And I hope he blesses his people. And I hope you walk in that. But I'm just saying financial prosperity is not always a sign of God's favor. Because Abram was blessed, but he compromised his wife to get these blessings. And I submit and submit this to you. It was not worth it. It was not worth it. And guess who probably came out of this deal? Something that I'd never seen before. The Bible says that Pharaoh, Egyptian, gave servants to Abram. Well, later on in the story of Abram, there was an Egyptian woman that Abram had a major problem with. And her name was Hagar. And we're going to get to that, but Hagar is synonymous with representing fear in the flesh and taking matters into your own hands and ended up causing major troubles in Abram and Sarai's life and relationship down to the point where they're still fighting in the Middle East today because of that moment. That flesh, that Hagar gave them an Ishmael, and that Ishmael represented his compromise which probably would have never happened had he stayed in Canaan. We'll, come, we'll get back to that. If he trusted God, he wouldn't have had to lie to protect himself because ultimately it wasn't his lie that protected him. It wasn't his manipulation that protected him. It was always God who protected him. Church, is not you're, you're not as good as you think you are. I'm so good. I know how to work the deal. I know how to manipulate. Most of the time, we know you're lying. We just are letting you walk it out until you get busted. Just letting you go. Okay, well, eventually you're going to get found out. Eventually, God is going to expose your deception. Just keep going. We'll be here to help you pick up the pieces. Not as good as we think. You are not the one protecting you. You are not the one providing your promotions, those things come from the Lord. God protects, God provides, and God promotes. The man and the woman of God does not need to lie or manipulate. God blesses us. If you have to lie to get it, then that means you have to lie to keep it. And if you want to be stressed out, and feel heavy all the time, try to keep up with every lie that you've told. Try to keep the facade going. Try to keep the, the show up. It's exhausting. Yet we often do what Abram did. When God doesn't provide in the timing that we want or the way that we think he should, we take matters into our own hands. So my question for you before we close is what's your Egypt? What is your Egypt? Where have you decided that you're smarter than God and that you need to go in and do something that he never asked you to do? Or where you need to provide for yourself because you're afraid that he's not going to? Where's your Egypt? Verse 17, I want you to see how God steps in even in Abram's disobedience. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh 
in his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? Notice he could have killed Abram, but God wasn't going to permit that. He said to him, what have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So what happened? God protected Abram. God protected Sarai. And God judged Pharaoh. Now I want you to see this picture. This picture, if that sounds familiar, it should. Because hundreds of years later, God is going to do the same thing, sending plagues to Egypt and judging Pharaoh. This is a picture, a foreshadowing of what is to come. God delivered Abram and his wife out of Egypt, signifying what he was going to do even for Abram's descendants when he delivers them out of Egypt. This story begins with Abram going into Egypt, and at the end of Exodus, it ends with his people coming out of Egypt. God is sovereign, and God can take even our worst mistakes and our bad decisions and turn them around for our good. I was counseling a man on the phone just the other day. I went into a store to, to pick up something, and I recognized this lady and this lady started talking to me and she said, Pastor, just pull me aside in the store. I'm trying to buy something for my wife and she says, can I pull, can I pull, pull you aside? I just found out my husband's been doing this and he's been doing this and he's been doing this the whole time we were married and I don't know what to do. I said, let me call him. Reach out to him. We talk on the phone. I'm on the phone with him yesterday and I tell them this. I've seen God do this over and over again. Romans 8, 28, he works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if you will trust him with the mistakes that you've made, he will turn even this around for the good of your family. But you have to trust him. Church, you may have already gotten yourself in Egypt, but he has a way of getting us out. He has a way of teaching us a lesson, but also getting us out. So maybe you're here and you're in Egypt, but for some of you, you're on the cusp and on the edge and you're in Canaan and you're thinking about going into Egypt. My, my encouragement to you, my admonition to you is don't do it. It's not worth it. Trust him. Let him provide the rain for you. Let him provide what you need. Let him be your source. Let him be enough. You don't have to go through Egypt. God will provide right where you're at. What's your Egypt? As I end, I end with this. Just take the step. Whatever the step is, whether it's coming out of Egypt or it's taking the step deeper into Canaan, trust him. He's trustworthy. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the example 
the examples, the many examples you've given us in the Bible, in the Word. You consistently make good on your promises. It's us who walk away. It's us who get anxious and walk away before you've provided the things that you promised to provide. I pray that you help us today to see very clearly what our Egypts are and what our Canaans are. Help us to trust you in the process. Whatever that is, Lord, show up to your people. Confirm to them your will. Confirm to them your word says you would be very clear. If we acknowledge you in all of our ways, you will, you will, you will direct our path. We just have to acknowledge you. You'll show us. So, Lord, I pray, show us. We look to you. And for those stuck in Egypt right now, stuck in guilt and shame from the bad choices, the bad decisions, Lord, I pray that you show them your willingness to redeem them, your willingness to clean up the situations that they've messed up. We don't clean it up. You clean it up, and we trust and follow you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray this morning for those who, truth be told, are just far away from Christ. You're not born again. You're not right with him and know it. If you're here and you say, I've never done that, Pastor Gabe, I've got good news for you. There is a promised land that God wants to bring you into. There is a kingdom that God wants to bring you into. And it's a place that you can be what the Bible calls born again, a fresh start, a new beginning, a brand new beginning where your sins are washed away, your sins are washed away, and you can follow the one who created you. And it's a very simple process to do this, as simple as ABC, A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that there's sin in your life that has separated you from God. B, you believe Believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for you. And see, you confess that from this moment on, you're going to follow him and that he is the Lord of your life. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I've never been born again. This is a one-time decision. You say, I want to follow him. With no one looking around, I just want you to lift up your hand, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. All of us are going to pray it together, but I want to know who's making that decision today. So if that's you, on the count of three, lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. You say, I want to be born again today. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? This is your moment. This is your time to be right with him. Praise God. Let me pray for you. If you lifted your hand, I want you to say these words out loud with me. And if you didn't, I want you to say these words out loud with me as we pray. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. 
So I turn away from my sin, repenting of my sin, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everyone who prayed today to be born again. Stand to your feet. I want to pray and and release you this morning. Y'all glad you came to God's house today? Good. Well, let me pray. But before I do, quick reminders. We have our prayer partners will be here at the front. If you say, I just, I'm in Egypt or I need to come out, let us pray with you and help you along that journey. If there's something going on in your life, let spiritual family surround you and pray with you and for you. Also, if you're interested in being a part of one of our serve teams, our intro to serve is happening right after this service, right across the breezeway in our serve team room, which is right next to our nursery area. If you say, I want to serve, I want to be a part of being on one of the teams here at the church, and we have many different teams that you can find out about, learn about, we'd love to explain more of that, what that looks like to you. So right after this service, child care is provided. You can meet me right over there in our serve team room. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in. That God, you would make your face to shine on them. And that everything that they put their hands to for the sake of your kingdom and for your great name would be blessed. And Lord, as a church, we would be a church, a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. A powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit and a persistent church, even in the face of challenges. And God, please help the saints. In Jesus' name, amen.